King Aegeus walked up the steps to the incense-heavy room. The Oracle of Delphi sat perched on a stool in the smoky room. He had been hoping to speak with her for quite some time. She had the power to see the future, but sometimes she had just enough influence to change a person's destiny. Aegeus was very concerned. He had been married many years, yet he and his wife had yet to conceive a child. Today he trudged up the stone steps to see if the oracle could see his future child or create the circumstances of the child's birth. His brothers and his nephews were chomping at the bit to take over his kingdom, and while he certainly wasn't about to abolish the monarchy, he was concerned about his citizens' quality of life. His family cared about their own quality of life and had no inclination to make personal sacrifices to make his people's lives easier. The oracle listened quietly to his request, and then her pupils spread wide until even the whites of her eyes were black. She must be speaking to Apollo. When the whites of her eyes returned and her irises turned brown again, he knew she was back. She sighed and fixed her eyes on him. She told him that he had to return home immediately and to not loosen his wineskin or he would die of sorrow. Aegeus was confused. His wineskin? His wine was a gift for King Pythias on his way home. What does his gift have to do with dying of sorrow? But the oracle said that was all she knew, so he decided to follow her orders and head home immediately. On the way home, he did visit King Pythias and laughed heartily as he told his friend about the strange prophecy. Instead of being amused or even concerned, Pythus seemed thoughtful. Still, he told Aegeus not to worry too much about it. No good ever came from being too obsessed with prophecies. Aegeus nodded. It was a situation known to cause terrible heartache. He smiled as he sat next to Aethra, Pythus's beautiful daughter, and had to flinch a little when he tasted the wine. Typically, wine was served diluted, where he came from. Serving full-strength wine was considered barbaric back in his kingdom. It was always added to water to keep it from going bad and making the drinker ill, but Aegeus had never drank it this way before in his life. It wasn't long before his head began to swim, and he felt strange. When he woke a few hours later, his stomach felt like it was boiling and his head felt like it had been impaled. His eyes were dry and irritated. His throat was dry as sand. He sat up and his stomach turned over. It was enough to make him desperate to leave the room, but not enough to distract him from Aethra by his side, startled awake. He was too busy running to the privy to pay attention to her. When he returned, he found that Aethra had left him alone. He felt guilty, but vowed to talk to her in the morning. They stumbled into each other in the garden the next day. Aegeus had found a boulder the size of a bear. He hidden his sword and sandals under the impossibly huge stone. He told Aethra that if they did have a son together, and the son was mighty enough to lift the stone, that he was mighty enough to be king. Then, and only then, should she send the son to him to take his place on the throne. Otherwise, she must never speak to anyone of this night, not even Aegeus himself. When Aegis returned home, he needed a distraction. He decided to hold a challenge for all the mightiest heroes of the realm, capture or kill the Cretian bull. 
There were mysterious rumors about this rampaging bovine who enjoyed snacking on citizens. It was rumored to come from the kingdom of King Minos, so Aegeus should not have been surprised when Minos's son took on the challenge to defeat the cause of his family's dishonor. He also should not have been surprised when no one was successful and the prince died. Minos sent his army to war with Athens. The war between Athens and Crete was good for Daedalus, but not so great for Athens. When Minos took the victory, he demanded sacrifice. Seven beautiful maidens and seven strong youths needed to be sent to Crete every nine years, with the first sacrifice taking place right at the very moment of his victory. These young people were to be cast into the labyrinth to face the Minotaur, the son of the very bull that had gotten them into this mess. Eighteen years as Athens approached the third sacrifice, Prince Theseus was nineteen years old. He had lived with his grandfather Pythus and his mother Aethra, who had been very cagey about who his father was. Apparently, she had spent time alone with the king of Athens the same night that she had fainted during a sacrifice to Poseidon. The water god had given Theseus the option to use him for three curses at any point in his life, in case Theseus was his son. But apparently, his other potential father, King Aegeus, had also not left him empty-handed. Aethra led her son to a massive boulder. He had often wondered why the gardeners had left the eyesore there his whole life. Now Aethra pointed at the stone and demanded that he move it. The rock was so enormous and heavy that his shoulders ached and burned as he lifted with all his might. Slowly, with trembling arms and thighs, he lifted the stone and found an old-fashioned sword and sandals inside. Aethra smiled, satisfied. She still didn't know whether her son was a demigod, but she did know that he would be king. Also, she knew that his journey would be difficult. His cousin Hercules was the son of Zeus, and even he had a difficult journey through his labors. She didn't expect things to be easier for her boy. She was a little frustrated when he made it harder on himself by choosing to travel overland to Athens rather than sailing there. Still, he insisted. He strapped on his new sandals and took his sword on the road. Like any other member of Hercules' family, Theseus' journey started fast and ferocious. He met a towering cyclops with a bronze club. He liked to kill people with his club and then steal all of their possessions off their bodies. Theseus paused and allowed his gaze to slowly climb the fleshy, one-eyed mountain of a man before him. The sheer size of his opponent and the bronze club glinting in the sunlight as the cyclops lifted it high to bring it down on Theseus's head. Theseus blinked. Is that club real bronze? The cyclops paused and looked at his weapon. Of course it is. Theseus looked upward with a near eye roll. Okay, but... A real, solid bronze club would be... He cast an obvious judging look over the Cyclops' outfit and bare feet. Really expensive. The Cyclops caught the look and scoffed. I am the first in a series of the world's mightiest bandits. That means I get the first pick of the victims and their goods. For me, a bronze club is easily within my means. Okay. Sure. Sure. If you say so. How 
dare you doubt my means. Look, he handed the club to Theseus. Feel its weight and see its shine. This club is made of the finest bronze you will ever... Theseus never heard the rest of the boast as he killed the Cyclops with his own club. He hefted the massive weapon on his back and continued on his way. He was next met by a man who asked for help holding a tree, then robbed his victims while they held it for him. One quick bump off a cliff and his second labor was complete. Next he had to use his shiny new club to kill a man-eating boar and conquer a man who would sit on the throne near a cliff and demand at knife point that you wash his feet. When you finished, he would use those nice clean feet to push you off the cliff. If you survived the fall, a local giant sea turtle was happy to finish the job. Next, he had to wrestle a king who would give you his kingdom if you beat him, but kill you if you lost. Needless to say, after their bout, Theseus could be a king whether his father legitimized him or not. He also changed the sport of wrestling forever by showing that a smaller competitor could beat a bigger opponent with the right amount of skill and agility. His next opponent was an excellent host. He would help his overnight guests to fit into his bed. If you were too tall for the bed that was perfectly suited to fit the host, he would lop off your head. If you were too short, he would tie a rope to your feet and arms and stretch you to be a nice, perfect fit. Fortunately, the man himself didn't get Theseus much trouble as long as the youth avoided the man's con. Having completed his six labors, Theseus turned to face Athens, time to finally meet his dad and earn his place in the world. Lemonade Mermaid here. We're going to make Theseus a two-parter just because it is such a big, long story that it would make an obnoxiously long episode if I put it all together, but it makes kind of two little shorty McShortface episodes doing it apart. So I had a choice, either two smaller episodes or one longer one, and myself, when I'm listening to podcasts, I kind of prefer shorter ones so that I can listen to them like on a walk or a commute or something like that. So just going with my own bias, I decided to opt for two shorter stories. Um, next week, Theseus is going to meet a very famous woman of power. She's going to be pretty familiar to us and volunteer his life to save his kingdom. An important thing to remember when you're hearing this story is that while this story is all happening center stage, the story of Icarus and Daedalus is happening off to the side, kind of in the background, um, with this whole event being directly tied to Icarus and Daedalus's flight from their tower and being locked in the labyrinth, etc., etc. So last story we went over is kind of important as far as context for this particular story. I'm going to start a new segment called The Wonder of the Week, probably for a little while here, and it's just going to talk about some different podcasts, YouTube channels, stories, and other inspirations that help me do research for and drive these stories forward in case you guys were ever interested in checking out other sources on these same stories and how I came to kind of get to my version that I tell, because often... As I check out many, many different sources for these stories, especially the older ones like the Greek and Roman myths, there will be different versions of the story that are prominent all over. And so I use multiple sources and it uh, 
I don't know, it, it, it can be very different versions of the story. So if my version is not the one you've heard, then checking out some of these resources might be a good alternative for you. Today's Wonder of the Week we're going to talk about is the Disney Story Origins podcast. This one didn't really play into today's episode, but you'll see it prominently show up as an influence for my Disney Lied to You segments, such as the show on Hercules, or Heracles, because uh, it's just kind of, he does a great job of comparing and contrasting the Disney version of stories versus the original version of stories, and the amount of research he puts in is really incredible. And uh, part of why I picked to feature this one first is because while the editing is phenomenal and the storytelling is incredibly captivating. It's hard to stop listening even though it is a very long podcast. Another reason why I wanted to kind of mention it is because this is a podcast that has been affected by COVID-19. The primary job of the host and his wife both were kind of knocked out by the virus and they live in California where it's incredibly expensive to get by. And so if this podcast doesn't start picking up and uh, becoming a little more financially advantageous for him, there is a real chance that this being one of my favorite podcasts out there will have to shut down. So if I could just kind of gently nudge some of you in the direction of listening to Paul's podcast and uh, just giving it more likes, subscribes, positive feedback and comments, because he did say he's been getting a lot of, negative criticism lately, which, I mean, those of you who are online, whether you have a blog, a vlog, a YouTube channel, anything like that, you know, just never read the comment section because it's never very nice. And, uh, I don't know, like, I've seen YouTubers that have, like, the most family-friendly, nice, cheerful, upbeat channel, and people will still somehow find incredibly nasty things to say in the comments. So just don't read the comments, folks. But anyway, Paul is discouraged and, um, He's just financially, things are really, really tight. So this podcast thing needs to start working out and being more profitable for him and a more positive experience if he's going to continue. He's been going on for several years. His music is fantastic. The acting is fantastic. I just, it's my favorite podcast. I absolutely love it. And I will be heartbroken to see it go. And it does provide a lot of research for some of my episodes where instead of having to kind of dig my way into foreign language texts, I can kind of count on some of his translations. You saw a lot of research from his research in my Aladdin episodes, and uh, it's just been really, really helpful having his podcast out there, and uh, not only just for research, supplementing my own research for my podcast, but also just for an entertainment value. I really love the Disney Story Origins podcast, and I'll be really devastated to see it go. So even if you can't support Paul and help that podcast continue. I'd really appreciate it if you'd at least give it a listen because it may end up being one of your favorites as well and you may not know what you're missing out on until you've actually been able to give that one a shot. It's an incredible, incredible podcast. I promise it's not a waste of your time. If you like my podcast, you'll love his. As always, if you want to help this podcast, please do like, subscribe, share, Um, If you love the show, pass it on, especially if you know somebody who's into classic old fables and fairy tales. Um, 
I think we only have a few more episodes of the Greek and Roman myths to go through, and then we'll start speeding it up into another part of the world, which will be super, super fun. So thank you so much for tuning in today. Again, please give all of my stuff a listen. Um, Hop over to Disney Story Origins. Give them a listen. It's absolutely fantastic, and it's been a pleasure talking to you this week. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. It's starting to get really warm and sunny here. The mulberries are out, and... My uh, my dog, well, one of my dogs, absolutely loves them. Like, when you give him a mulberry, he does, like, a little hop and it, like of excitement, and it's super cute. I've only ever seen him do that for bacon before, so he must really like these particular berries. So if you live in somewhere where the berries and fresh fruit and local fruit are out, just go out and enjoy that for the weekend. Go outside. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous, and it's one of the few things we're allowed to do anymore. So go outside, enjoy the sunshine, and just have a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and I'll look forward to seeing you next week with the rest of Theseus. Have a good one.